0: Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of The Squid and the Ultimate Least Fan. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Least Fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibes. Squid, how are we doing today in this rainy day?
1: Uh, well, not doing anything really. <laughs> it's just <laughs> kind of relaxing and uh, uh, it's horrible out there, but it's supposed to be nice tomorrow.
0: Well, that's good. I mean, we got uh, we got a couple of things to go through here too. Well, I mean, the weather, yeah, obviously it's nice tomorrow. So we're getting getting a head start on that, doing this today. But we've got the second part of our interview with Jr. Some great stuff coming up. Oh. We've some great stories with Michael Jordan and uh, this guy pranking him, pranking a couple of teammates, faking his own death. I mean, you guys have got to sit and listen to this stuff. I mean, it's just class. It's, yeah, it's,
1: it's very very entertaining. I can <laughs> I can assure you of that.
0: It's just phenomenal. I mean, he gets a bad rap with, uh, with some people about some things that may have been said in the past, but you know, for the most part, this guy's a genuine guys, a pure through and through hockey player, loves the game, played it with a passion. And he's just yeah. one of those guys. You've never heard another player ever say a bad word about him. They all love this guy, love playing with him and just love hanging with him.
1: Yeah, no, I've heard nothing but great things about Jr. And I, I played a little bit with him my first or last year in Chicago for half a season. And, uh, he took your number. He took yeah, he took my number. That's okay. <laughs> he did I, only, it. I only had it for a year and a half anyway, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> he did it proud. So well, speaking of numbers, there's a few number changes coming into the Toronto lineup uh, since we've last spoke. One big jumble Joe now has become a Toronto Maple Leafs. What do you think about that move?
1: Well, I, I think it's a good move, personally. I you know, I think that Joe's kind of, like I know it's kind of similar to what they did with Patrick Marlowe, but but Patrick Marlowe is a, a pretty quiet guy and uh, I'm not sure that he's one that would stand up in the room or, or take a guy aside. Uh, Joe Thornton is a guy that would, if someone's not pulling their weight, he'd pull them aside and say, listen, you know, you, you better get going. And, uh, you know, I know that for a fact and, and uh, uh, I think it's a great addition. And not, not only that, but the fact is, the guy can play. And if he, he plays on the second power play unit, I mean, he might be one of the best passers of all time in the National Hockey League.
0: Well, I mean, if you think about what they're doing here, I mean, is that the only difference with Patrick Marleau costs him $6 million a year and $18 million over three years. This has cost him basically minimum salary of $700,000. Yeah. And as GM once told me, it very clearly, they love nothing better than signing unrestricted free agents because all it costs you is money. It costs you no assets. And the Leafs have got a third line made, or a fourth line made up of that. They've added some depth. Yeah. There's no risk. I think they've done a wonderful job. One of the other guys I want to talk about is Micaiah, who they've just signed to a two-year deal. Maybe a little bit more than what he should have got, but... If one of those situations is the Leafs didn't pay him, somebody else probably would have.
1: Well, yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's possible, impossible. but he had arbitration rights. They were set yeah. to go to arbitration. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that had they gone to arbitration that the Leafs probably would have won and it probably would have been somewhere around a million uh, as opposed to 1.65. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think the sample size is big enough for him to earn $1.65 million a year for two years. But, you know, as you say, I mean, uh, somebody else might have grabbed them. but uh, if they had gone to arbitration, I think the Leafs would have won, and, and it would have been a little cheaper. Yeah, I mean, he is protected,
0: but, it you know, then you get a disgruntled player, and, you know, that just does not fare well with winning teams, and you just can't have that, so... Maybe they well, over. It or- is what it is,
1: and whether you're disgruntled or not, you're still getting paid to do your job, and you got to go out and do it. So, yep. um, you got to look at it from that standpoint as well. Well,
0: I mean, what do you think of some of these other changes? I mean, I, I think myself, uh, you know, I think you got to give tip your hat to Kyle Dubas for the nice job he's done because he's added some great depth. Yes, we've given up a couple of 20-goal scores, so you could say you're taking 20, 40 goals out of the lineup maybe every year with Kapanen and Johnson gone, but you're hoping that those replacements will pick up at least half of that, maybe if it's Barmanov and uh, Robertson. But more importantly, and particularly as we see what wins in the playoffs, those 40 goals they've given up, maybe they've added on the back end, they'll stop 40 goals from going in the back of their net.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I I mean, if you're going to win in the playoffs, you need that. You need better... Defensive play, you need not necessarily better defense, but obviously that goes with the territory. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody's got to contribute defensively. And you added guys like Joe Thornton, uh, Simmons, that, you know, forwards that, that can play defense and are good at it. So, yeah, you might, if you even knock off 30 goals uh, against, uh, then that makes up for what you you gave away.
0: Yeah. And you got to hope that your top six guys are obviously going to get better every year Matthews and Marner and uh, Nylander are going to step it up. And, and as they're getting more and more comfortable in the league and more adjusted, they're going to score more, hopefully. So that, that's why it's supposed to work in a perfect world. And with Bogosian and Brody on the back end, adding to the depth, I mean, that's obviously good. That should all work in Leafs favor. So I think some of the moves have been really, really solid, solid moves. And, and they've put themselves in a position where if something really enticing comes along, I mean, a big they've, they've got room to make another move if they need be.
1: Yeah, they could. And what I like most about their additions is they added uh, guys that have been around and have the experience, uh, but I think they added a little bit more grit, a little bit more physicality on, on the back end, Uh as far as up front, uh, not a lot more, a little bit more with Simmons, a uh, guy that can park himself in front of the net in the power play if they need him there, and you know. But you also added a bunch of guys that are kind of at the end of their career or or close to it anyway, and uh, you know. But I think they all have something to prove, and they all have ties to Ontario, which is is another good thing for them. So. Uh, let's just hope that it all works out. I think it will. And uh, yeah, I think give Kyle a lot of credit for for the guys he's added because uh, I I think they've added what they needed.
0: And more importantly, at the the minor league level with the Marlins, they've added there also. And they've built some depth up. Competition for jobs never hurts. It's always very healthy. And again, as we said at the beginning of this, if the UFAs don't work out, Guess what? It's only a paycheck. It's it's probably one of those bar bills in the NHL. <laughs> On a nightly basis, that's what it cost us, So, <laughs> well,
1: yeah, and that's the one good thing about uh, even with the salary cap is, you know, they have the ability to carry twenty eight or thirty guys at the American League level and pay them good money. And just in case they need them, they're there. And you know, they practice at the same facility and and everything else. So. Uh, that's one of the, thing, the advantages that teams like Toronto and Montreal now with their farm teams right in the same city. Uh, Vegas will be very similar. Uh, there's a lot of other teams. Ottawa. Ottawa is only Belleville. Uh, Ottawa and Belleville. And you, know, but if you own, and you own the team so you can do whatever you want. So whatever they have down there and however much they're making, it doesn't affect their cap.
0: Nope. And when I traveled to San Jose, they're, they're, their team actually yeah. plays, they're going to, they're going to be playing in their own, they're building a new facility for them right in San Jose, a, a new rink for the American league team to play in. So they're, all the teams are seeing the benefits of that. Toronto's taking full advantage of it and rightly so. And it's a, uh, it's, it's a good thing to see. Now we just got to find a pick date when this is all going to start.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like January 1st at the earliest now. And uh, my, Spidey sense tells me that there will not be fans in the, in the seats January 1st. If anything, I think maybe you're looking more towards next season. Yeah. Uh, that's, no, that's... Perhaps maybe the end of the season in the playoffs. Uh, there's a chance, but I'm looking at more the following season. I think before you see fans in the buildings.
0: Well, as you can see, it's affecting all sports baseball world yeah. series. The opening game of the World Series had the lowest attendance rating watched ever. So uh, uh but again, you got teams in there. You got a team in there, Tampa really. I mean, what kind of draw is Tampa gonna be for you know against LA? But regardless, uh it is what it is. We're seeing. Uh, another leap we should mention by the way, before we bring it over to uh, JR is um Connor Brown signed a nice little ticket in Ottawa. Yeah. Ottawa's stepping it up and they continue to make slow progress but it's it's headed in the right direction
1: they're definitely headed in the right direction they've got a they got a, a a ton of great young players connor brown is a pretty good player himself I mean, he's a 20 20 goal scorer 25 he, yeah. he might have an opportunity to get 30 if he's playing with the, some of these young guys when they do come along and, and they're part of the senators but and they've also left themselves open for the day, maybe two years down the road or three, whatever it might be, when they're on the verge of possibly winning, they can add. Yep. And they can go out and get a veteran that they need to get over the hump. So they have put themselves in a really, really good position right now.
0: But as Leafs fans, we got that's enough, okay? You can stop right there. They've done enough, okay? So just leave them right where they
1: well, are. Well, yeah. And also the other thing, uh, I noticed was they're talking about an all Canadian division for th- this upcoming season with, wow. with the border closed and everything. I would love to see that. I, I would love to see a Canadian division with just, an, and then all they do is play against each other, seven teams. I think it would be fantastic. It'd be a, a lot of fun, uh, especially with the guys that have moved like from Vancouver to Calgary and Brody from Calgary to Toronto and so on. Like, I, I just think it would be a blast to watch a Canadian division.
0: Oh, no, the underlining makeup of this could be just uh, wow. amazing. And it it would be really, really something to see that first season. We just saw the rivalry. He's getting steamed up again, especially every Canadian team has improved. So you yeah. uh, the level of play, I think, would be the highest we've seen in many, many years. And, of course, Rodgers would be through the roof, excited about seeing all of that. So... Now, I think though, I think the fans though Squid of to us listen to us long enough. I think it's time kind to of have a listener to go to old buddy JR and listen to some of these stories, guys. You won't be disappointed. And we'll talk to you guys in a few minutes. Hey, Squid, you've you haven't it, you haven't gotten with it, the number
1: yet. It, well, of course he, he took number twenty seven after I got traded. I'm mm-hmm. assuming because I was his favorite player. I don't know why. Oh, that's <laughs> right, Squid. I've always assumed that, anyway. <laughs> but, don't you remember? I Remember, I slashed
2: you my first time I came on, and I'm like, <laughs> I I, did, I was so I, I was so so felt so bad. The least I could do is, is honor your number by taking it. And, <laughs> well, you, know, you, did, you did a hell of
1: a job with it, that's for sure. And because uh, I, I mean, I you look at the numbers first of all. I mean, these are very impressive numbers. Uh, uh, you know, well over a thousand games, uh, well over a thousand points, over 500 goals. Like, I, and the other guy I want to look at, and not only that, your playoff numbers are incredible: 115 points, 53 goals in 154 playoff games. The other guy that I that reminds me very similar numbers, Steve Larmer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and I always wonder yeah. why the hell is he not in the Hall of Fame. When you have numbers like yeah. that. And, and I look at these numbers and I say the same damn thing. Like, how can you not be in the Hockey Hall of Fame with numbers like that?
2: You know, I ask myself that same question every year. And, and, and you know Larms like I know Larms. And oh. I, don't think there's, I, don't think, I don't think there's a player ever that's played with Steve Larmer that A, doesn't love him. B doesn't respect the hell out of him and C wonders why he's not in the hall of fame because he was one of the most underrated shooters. One of the most underrated players. I think I've ever played against. Yeah. He didn't look, he didn't look flashy. He didn't skate beautifully. No. He was just so efficient, right? Squid. Yeah. He, he knew the game so well. He taught the game so well. He was a, out, he was a student of the game, but he was the professor of the game. Yeah,
1: he he smart, knew
2: man. where that puck was going. He was so smart. He used to shoot the puck. He he would have his hand, he had a long stick and he would have his hands so close, right? He wasn't one of those guys that had put his hand down and had the hard shot. And he had this little, this little shot with his hands like this and goaltenders didn't know where the puck was going. And he scored so many goals and he was the ultimate endurance guy. He would have broken the, the, the uh, games played um you know with the iron man streak <clears throat> he would have he would have beaten jarvis's Ironman man streak yeah. if it wasn't for the hawks t- trading him away and ha- having to miss games because of a contract dispute but here's well, a guy I, who scored how many goals did he score squid <clears throat> uh, he
1: was he was in the 400s yeah he 400 and but and, he had, a, he had a, a point a game roughly yeah. or, or a little more than a point a game but I thought he was an all-around unbelievable player. Like, defensively, he was one of the best defensive forwards yep. in the league, too, but never won the Selkie. Yep. You know, just – I look at these things, and I played with Larmes, and I got to know Lars very, very well. I still see him. He's in Peterborough. Mm-hmm. Grandpa, his nickname suits him very, Grandpa, very yep. well, too, because that's yep. just the way he is. It's like yep. – And, I mean, he – he left New York with uh, one or two years left in his contract after they won yep. the Stanley Cup and said, that's it, yep. I'm done.
2: Yep. And- Honorable. So he went to Stanley Cup. He had a career that he has. And, you know, everybody says to be in the, in the Hall of Fame, you, you know, it's the prerequisite is to have a Stanley Cup. He has one of those. He was the Man. You know, he was one of the best defensive players in the game. I think he just doesn't get the respect that he deserves because he played the game and went home. He didn't yeah. want the accolades. He didn't want the hype. He was a very soft-spoken guy. He spoke when he when he needed to, when he needed to speak, and when he taught people, and when he was when you know he was one of the best teammates ever. And I think he just he flies and he's he, flo- he flew under the radar when he played, yeah. And he's still flying under the radar in terms of the Hall of Fame. He should be in the Hall of Fame without question, in my opinion.
0: Now you're speaking. Uh, you mentioned uh, contract dispute with LARBS. Contract dispute with you. And management in Chicago cost you yeah. tenure there, I believe. And it was probably a very trying time for you because you were yeah. probably looked to be a hawk for life. Mm-hmm. What was your mental state going through that whole period? And again, going from original 16, a team like
1: Chicago, you're going to the desert. Yeah, well, that's not surprising because was- Bob Bofor was the cheapest son well- of a bitch you ever <laughs> <laughs> in the NHL. I, I went know,
2: see- through that too. Yep. You know who it was? It was Bob Pulford and Bob Murray at the time too. Cause oh, Murph, yeah. Cause Murph kind of came on board. So it was the two of them that kind of, um, kind of shit me out of Chicago. But, um, I remember, I remember this because this is the, this, w- when people say if you if you could ever change something in your career, what would it be? And I think I would have changed the way that I treated that whole negotiation with the Blackhawks and with Mr. Wirtz and, um some of the things that i said some of the things that he said and you know that's why i realize that they're the owners of the team i mean they own the team for a reason it's their team if they have a certain way they want to run the team then so be it um i was a brash cocky arrogant loud mouth kid you know coming off of 500 you know 50 goal seasons 100 point seasons and seeing eric lindros make 3 million dollars without ever playing a, a day in the in the in the league you know, at 96, I thought, you know, $4 million, you know, that's all I wanted at the time. I wanted a $4 million contract. This is 1996 and the Blackhawks didn't want to, want to pay it to me. And because of our squabbles, they shipped me out of out uh, out of um, out of Chicago. And I would have gone back. And if I can go back, I definitely would have respected the, the process um, more. I think the dialogue would have been different. And uh, I probably would have been the Hawk the rest of my career. But to go from Chicago to the desert and play in the desert was, I mean, you can't get two polar opposite um, kind of situations. But I I love playing in the desert and I had a great, great six years, five years in the desert and um, still live there today. So really it wasn't a bad trade in terms of how my life turned out, but it didn't turn out great in my career because my career after kind of after that kind of, slowly started going the, the wrong way. Um, and I think it was because that was the first time in 1996 that I ever experienced as a person, um, somebody or a team not wanting me on their team. And it was, it was kind of a strange feeling.
1: Well, you, yeah, um... I'm going I'm to give you my problem with pulling. Okay. <laughs> You're going to laugh at this because this was 19... It was after my first year, so ninety 87-88, uh, and I scored 43 goals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was making 300 at the time. And, of course, in Toronto, it was Canadian. And, of course, when I got traded, Chicago became American, which was great. So, anyway, my contract was up. Pulley offers me 260, 260. 65. <laughs> I'm like, I, you gotta be kidding me! Like a forty thousand dollar pay cut after forty three goddamn goals. Like, like, come on! And anyway, went on all summer, and finally we had an arbitration date set. And I remember Bill Waters calling him, and I was in the office, and it was on speakerphone, and. You know, well, we got an arbitration date set, and Pulley's like, "Well, uh, Bill, <clears throat> Bill, uh, you know what's gonna, <clears throat> you're gonna know what's gonna happen if uh, you go to arbitration." And Bill said, "Yeah, no, you're gonna trade him. That's fine." And two days later, I had three and a quarter, three and a quarter, three fifty, and it was <laughs> like, "Why did we wait all summer doing this?" And, <laughs> I mean, that was Pulley. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that was Pulley to a nuts, uh you know, okay. all, all the time. And and he was so, and it wasn't even his money. <laughs> you swear it was his own dollars that he was getting out. That's how cheap he was with, with the money in Chicago. Now, I, and the reason I brought that up is because I'm talking 300. You're talking 3 million. And that's not that far apart. I mean, yep. in 94. only six years. It's only six, years. It, totally it six 90, years. Yeah, was it 94 that they kind of, when they was, signed was, that was, big it was, contract, it was er, when
2: Eric Lindros got drafted. I think it was ninety-two or ninety-three. Um, that's that. That's when um, you know. That's when people started finding out b- other people's contracts. Right before you know, before disclosure yeah, no came disclosure. out. N- 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 before disclosure came out, nobody knew what anybody made. I mean, Ray yeah. Bork was Ray Bork was the be- one of the best players in the game. And didn't make any money. When everybody found out how much Ray Bork was making, it was like, how are we gonna how are we gonna compete against this? And I remember night, I think it was 93 when Eric Lindros came into or came into the league, he signed a three million dollar contract. And the MVP of the league that year was Mark Messier making 1.5. So it was um and, and but when disclosure came out, everybody started comparing each other to how much they made. And I Larry Lindros was the, I think the the bar school that started it. Everybody's like, this kid's making $3 million. He's never even played a game in the National Hockey League yet. So then now everybody's, that's how it's just started climbing and climbing and climbing. It all started with Eric Lindros.
1: Well, I will say Eric Lindros for five years in Philly was probably the best player in the National Hockey League. Oh,
2: most dominant. One oh, of the most dominant. God. Yeah. And was he a big,
1: big, big physical yeah. man. Like-
2: yeah. Yeah. That Legion of Doom line was, uh, was not. Fun to play again. him, John, him, Leclerc, and Renberg were just. Uh, well,
0: were thank God I wasn't together. playing
2: then. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> no, uh, not fun.
0: JR, I want to go back to you when you arrived in uh, Phoenix, and again, uh, uh, you know, coming back, going back there, you, you reconnect with somebody you tried to recruit probably yeah. seven years earlier, Keith yeah. Walt, affectionately known as Tachuk. Yeah. And uh, yeah. he showed his real leadership skills with you, and I think you had a lot of that veteran presence around you that may have yeah. probably made the
2: transitional easier going to play there it, it it really was because here i am you know keith is uh, is now the captain of uh of, you know winnipeg coming to phoenix and i remember him calling me because i was i was actually didn't come to <laughs> phoenix early because i had i had now to do a contract with phoenix and uh i remember keith calling me saying get your ass here will you you know like get this contract done. Kind of like I was, I called him to go play in in the hall and he calls me and goes, quit this shit, get over here, sign that contract. You know, we have some work to do, you know, that's just how Keith Pachuk was. And, um, and so I ended up signing, going into Phoenix and playing with, uh, with Keith and playing with Walt was uh, some of the best five years ever. And, and Keith, even though Keith was younger than me, and even though he was, um, didn't have the you know the points that i had or the career that i had at the time i mean he was Walt's you know the second second all-time leading goal scorer in the history of the americans i mean this guy was one of the best goal scorers of all time 540 some odd goals um and a guy that wasn't a great wasn't an awesome skater but he was one of the best front net players i've ever seen and some of the best moves they ever seen um could score goals tip um you know, tip anything around the net. Um, I, I bet you.
1: Was well, boys. I bet you four hundred. His yeah, boys yeah. aren't bad at it either. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll talk about
2: them. We'll talk about them in a minute. Um, I bet you four hundred and fifty of Keith's five hundred and forty some odd goals came from the crease, right around the crease. That's just that's how good he was around the net. But this is what Keith Kachuk taught me. He taught me to, um, as a leader, and to play the game the way he played it every single night, but to treat people the way that, that, and to treat the trainers and to treat the people that worked inside the room. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're a professional hockey player. You act like a professional player. He would be on the bike. He would be riding the stationary bike every single morning for 45 minutes. First, first thing he did when he got to the arena and he would put the bike right in front of the door that you come into, into the training or into the, into the locker room because Keith wanted every young person, every young guy that walked into the door to see that Keith was on the bike riding. And he's like, he's like, and he'd say, what took you so long to get here? He said, I've been on, the, on this bike for 30 minutes already. You're just getting here. And he would literally, I mean, he, he pushed people. He's like, I'm here working my ass off and you're just getting here now. You make sure tomorrow you're here 30 minutes earlier. Get on this bike. Get in the gym. He was just one of those guys that was a leader. He pushed you. He pushed you. He said to me, he gets there's two rules when I got the when I got the Phoenix. Number one was get Walt the Puck. That was his rule. Get <laughs> Walt the Puck. Okay? Rule number two, get Walt the Puck. And he it. Those are the only two rules that he had. And um and he meant it. He he was one of the he you knew what you get with Keith Kachuk. You, you, he was in your face. There was no no denying what Keith wanted and what Keith uh, demanded, and you, you love him for that. But he made sure when we're when we are on the road, the you know the stick boys for the the stick guys for the other team, the train you know the the, the guys that work the locker room. Yeah. You know Keith gave Keith gave him a hundred dollars each. Each kid got a hundred dollars for work in the locker room. He, uh, he made sure he would go around the, the, he would go around the bet, the bus and collect a hundred dollars from each guy and give it to, to, uh, to a couple, a couple guys that kind of, that Keith kind of, uh, brought into the, onto the team on the road. Remember red in uh, in Winnipeg and in Vancouver's couple of guys that were down on their luck. Keith would bring them into the locker room and give them some money and feed them and get them a hotel room and make sure that they were shaven and clean. Um, Keith made sure he took care of people better than anyone that I ever have. And he taught these kids, you know, you take care of your trainers, you take care of the people that make our life um, better. And there's no one better than that than Keith Kachuk.
0: That's fantastic stuff. Yeah, uh, That was
1: one of the things that uh, back in in our day, a lot of the guys were like that, Jeremy, where, yeah. you know what, the, the trainers were the most important guys and the equipment guys, especially yeah. we had to lug everything out and, and stuff like that. And, I mean, the older guys would tell you, if you don't tip the trainers yep. and if you don't give them X amount or more, yep. you know, we're going to take care of you. And yep. they made it very, very clear. And our trainers did well. They, they, they took care of us very, very well. Yep. But we also took care of them. But that was yep. the way I broke in was that was the first thing I learned was yep. look after everybody that looks out after you and make sure that they're taken care of and uh, and treat people like you want to be treated uh, whether it be your teammates whether it be your the trainers or the guys that are just helping out the trainers and you know that, that that's what i learned very very early in my career
0: well yeah. speaking of which oh sorry jerry I will get get to yep, you in a ahead. second here the uh, um as a free agent you signed and filling i just talked about relationships now you had a pretty you had some good years there but you had kind of a rough guy to play for who's a bit of a reputation than Ken Hitchcock. You wanna to yeah. touch on that?
2: Yeah, so it, it, this goes back um, a lot of years. I've, I've talked about this, you know, Hitch Hitch was, um, Hitch and I never saw eye to eye. Um, you know, we respected each other. We, um, you know, we, at times we gritted our teeth watching each other to talk and say the things that we said. I was the flamboyant, you know, happy-go-lucky, you know, never never seemed to be, you know, serious off the ice. Um, I used to dance in the locker rooms and play the music loud and, you know, live life crazy. And But I was one of those people that could turn it on and turn it off. Hitch, Hitch didn't like that kind of flamboyant mentality. He wanted everybody <laughs> to be strict and stern and, you know, pay attention. And um, So I'll, I'll say this about Hitch. Um, you know, I, I didn't like the way he whined at me. I didn't like the way his message came across. He's always like, JR, what are you doing that for? JR, you're just always on your own page. You never listen. And I'm like, well, oh, my page is a lot more exciting than your page, Hitch. <laughs> um But I I will say I will say this about Hitch. Uh I don't think I've played for a, a smarter coach. I don't think I've played for a more um technical coach technically sound coach i don't think i've played for a coach who is more prepared uh, i don't think i've played for a more passionate coach uh, of the game um this guy was one of the smartest hockey men i have ever seen he's one of the smartest people i've ever come across i mean his knowledge in, in civil war his knowledge of history his his uh, his passion yeah. for the things that he likes um listen, you don't have to like the person to, to respect the person or, uh, I played hard for hitch because this man knew what he was doing. He was an unbelievable bench coach. Uh, there's a reason why he's one of the most all time winning coaches of, of all time because, uh, for a guy who didn't play the game at the top level, uh, he understood it at the top level. And, um, and maybe that's why his message was didn't maybe resonate with me or, um, you know, I, we didn't see kind of eye to eye. I, I think we respected each other to a certain extent, but um, this guy is one of the best coaches I have ever played for because he is literally probably the smartest coach that I've ever seen work.
0: Well, you go from playing for him. And by the way, he is responsible for apparently the the cannon in Columbus and sort of that whole Blue Jack kind of history. So that, that relates to him and his uh, passion yeah. for mm-hmm. the Civil War. But you go from him who understood the game at the top level to mm-hmm. one of the greatest players of all time as a redo. And you're yeah. smiling because you know where I'm going yeah. with this one again. <laughs> yeah. You're a smart guy, Jeremy. You, you got this figured out all the time. I know. The second time around with Wayne Gretzky, didn't go yeah. quite as well as it did in Halt.
2: It didn't. And I was coming off a terrible year in LA. It was just after the, um, it was after the lockout in 2004. I really didn't work out during the lockout. I didn't take care of myself. I had a terrible year in LA and uh, I'm getting ready to sign in Calgary. I'm actually talking to Daryl Sutter and I'm getting ready to, I'm literally did a deal with Calgary, getting ready to, you know, to call Calgary and say, okay. Um, And I love Daryl Sutter, by the way, he's one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, So to go up and play for Daryl Sutter would have been great. So I'm getting ready to call Daryl to uh, accept the, the one-year contract in 2005, 2006. So I'm picking up the phone. And right before I pick up the phone, Wayne Gretzky calls. It's like, Hey, JR, you know, what, what you doing? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> not telling him what's going on. And he goes, I want you to come play in Phoenix. You know, they love you here in Phoenix, you know, come play for us in Phoenix. And, um, I'm like, oh, no, Here, I'm just getting ready to tell Daryl Sutter that I want to go play for him in Calgary. And Wayne Gretzky now again, you know, hence 20 years, you know, yeah, 20 years to the, almost to the year um, when he tried to get me to go play for Hall. And I said, no, I can't say no to him like, the second time. So I said, uh, I said, you can't say no to Wayne Gretzky in 2005. So I went and played in Phoenix. And I remember I was in one of the best shapes I, that I ever was. But Gretz didn't give me – I think he brought me there maybe to sell tickets, not play hockey, because he put me on the fourth line <laughs> and uh, didn't play me all that much. And um, it was a kind of a tough year. But I remember battling Gretz, um, you know, just because I'd walk into the locker room and you know you see, see the board and they had the names on the boards you know of, of what line you're on mm-hmm. and I was always on the side or I was on the bottom and, you know if, if I had a if I had a line I was excited but if I was on the side of, of the board I was pissed off and I and I made sure that I showed it so there was a practice going I remember this one time walk in they have the practice lines up on the written on the board and I was on the side I, meaning I didn't have a line. So what do you do in practice? You, you, you sub in, right? So you take somebody's spot and do a line rush and all that stuff. And I remember we're doing line rushes, doing three-on-twos and three-on-threes and, you know, line rushes back and forth. And I'm standing against the boards, and I'm just standing on, against, on the boards <laughs> with my arm on the boards, and I'm staring at, at, at Gretz, and Gretz is standing at the, at the red line watching. And I'm just standing there, and I'm looking at him with my arm like this, and I just keep staring at Gretz. And Gretz goes, are you going to take a rush? Are you going to take a line rush? And I said, are you going to give me a line? <laughs> and he just, he just shook his head. And he goes, I, he goes, I don't know. And I looked at him and goes, well, I guess I don't know if I'm going to take a line rush then. I'll just sit here until you give me a line. And he just, he just turned away from me, and he shook his head. And he's like, whatever, JR. But, um, we, 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 I think Gretz and I have a great relationship because at the time I was like, again, you know, I didn't treat him like Wayne Gretzky. I treated him like, you know, like he, he was my coach that never played a game in the league because I was mad at him because he didn't give me the, and it was just, we, we had that, we had that, and we've talked about this before and I love Gretz. I, I love him to death, um. But it was, uh, it was a weird scenario. Um, I didn't like playing for him as, as, as a coach. <laughs> I, just, I, I just didn't. I love him as a person, and he's the best player of all time. But to play for him, for me, was pretty hard.
1: Well, one what of the things I've heard, not just about Wayne, but yeah. other NHL players who get into coaching is they have – too big of expectations for the players because of what they could do. Mm -hmm. And I think Wayne had a a big problem from my understanding, from what people I've talked to with the fact that he couldn't understand why a lot of the guys couldn't do things close to what he could do as a player. It's
2: frustrating. I think, I think it frustrates, it frustrates coaches. I think to, to know, know what needs to be done, know what to do, but these guys can't do it to the level. And you know, to tell you the truth to be Wayne Gretzky is a job all in itself. Yeah. But then having to coach and travel and and be at the rink and do everything that he that he had to do, um, you know, it, it was a hard, I, I, would, I would think it was probably one of the hardest things that Gretz had to do is to, is to take his life of being the greatest player of all time and kind of swinging it down to being a coach and battling the time and battling the fact that, can I live up to the standards that Wayne Gretzky did on right. the ice? behind the bench and um, you know he he did he did the best he can yeah, he, but got, he really didn't have much to he didn't have much to work with in the Arizona. But. No but he got he got paid
1: well for doing it so you sure did. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no,
0: Jr. Speaking of hanging around with some of the greatest uh, in Chicago, you were very popular players, so you got mm-hmm. a chance, to, I think, hang with a couple of uh, famous people in that city. One basketball of them,
2: guys.
1: Yeah, one of those <laughs> basketball guys. <laughs> and there's,
0: there's a great story that I've heard that you that uh, with Michael Jordan, you guys playing golf one day, and I, and I agree with you. I think you said you've made a legendary by this story about playing golf and drinking beer, and then him going out and scoring a bunch of
2: points one night That's- and maybe you want to tell us that story. Yeah. He's um, you guys, I, I, I assume you saw um, the documentary. Yeah. Um, yes. With, with yes. Michael Jordan. Yeah. 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 That's exactly how Michael Jordan was. It's exactly how he is. It's exactly how he, he lived his life. Um, exactly how he wanted everybody. He wanted everybody at their best. I've never seen a competitor um, or an athlete. Um, so focused, so determined. So, um, just so ready um, to and prepared to play his sport. I mean, Michael was the ultimate competitor. He made everybody better. He dragged, he dragged people into the fights, into the games and he hated to lose. Boy, did he hate to lose. And it goes back to the golf round. It's a, it's a Sunday night and I get a call. It's in April, right, right before the playoffs are getting ready to start. And the weather is actually pretty nice at the time. And, 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 and Jordan says, meet me at the golf course, Sunset Ridge, 7 o'clock. We're teaming up. So I get there. We play 18 holes. I beat him for a few grand, and um, it's 10 o'clock, 10.30 in the morning. And I think we're done. We don't have a game that night. We have the day off. The Bulls are playing Cleveland that night. <laughs> so I'm thinking, play 18, he's going to go back and take a nap, get ready for the game. He, I, I'm getting ready to leave. He goes, let's go play 18 more. I'm like, well, you can play 18 more. You want to go play, you want to play 36? He's like, yeah, I got to get my money back. So we order. he orders a bunch of beers and we go back out and play another 18. I, we we polished off probably a case between the two of us. And uh, I beat him for a couple more grand. And um, after it was about three o'clock now, three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> and he's getting in the car he has a car picking him up to take him to the, to the game down to Chicago stadium. He's going right from the golf course to the game. And uh, I'm like, hey, Mike, I'm, I'm making sure I'm calling my bookie. I'm putting a bet on Cleveland tonight. No way you guys win in tonight. He goes, tell you what, I'll bet you what, you, what, you, what I lost you today. We win by 20 and I scored him, No question. I'm like, you're on. <laughs> 50, he dunks 52 and they win by like 26. And and I knew cuz I remember I remember I remember after watching this watching the game I said he could have cared less about beating Cleveland. He could have cared less about that game because I I think that was the year they had one of the, the best teams of all time. They knew they were going to win. The only reason he cared about winning that game is so he could get the money back that he lost <laughs> to me on the golf course. But Nobody, nobody can play thirty-six holes and um, take care of themselves the way that he did that day, and go out and put up a game like that. But Michael Jordan. Oh, man, I know. A, I know the,
1: one. I know one guy that could do it, Boreas oh, yeah. <laughs> Solomon. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Well. <laughs> oh yeah! Well, JR, you got a, a story.
0: You guys story very similar of doing the same type of thing, didn't you? At a, at a, at a game playing one time, I think you guys were in Detroit.
2: Uh, yeah, I actually, this is what I actually just told this story, uh, yesterday, um, at the, oh. this, this rally that uh, rally that I'm in, it was kind of oh. funny because I, I said, there's only one time I played drunk in the National League. <laughs> I played, I played absolutely hammered, um, in 1994, I believe it was 1994, 92. So, you know,
1: we had
2: strikes and lockouts, lockouts and strikes. Well, at this time, it, uh, this time of the year, it was right before playoffs. There's, three, there's two days, two games left before playoffs. So we were talking with the NHLPA that the best time to strike was right before playoffs. Because you, as, as you guys know, the, the, the salaries stop once mm-hmm. playoffs. And that's, when the, that's when the teams make their money. Is during the playoffs right because they don't have to pay the players so our best bargaining power was to strike right at the end of the season right before playoffs so we we're going to play in the playoffs so i remember the last game of the season we're in detroit and <clears throat> we're going we're, we're striking we're definitely striking <clears throat> so we played we're getting ready to play detroit And nobody's going to go to the rink. We're going to go to the professional ballet over (laughs) in Windsor. (laughs) So a bunch of us get in the car, get in the cabs and we go through the tunnel at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And we go to, we're going to go have lunch at the ballet in Windsor. And we're sitting, we're sitting in the, the, at the, at the, at the club and we're drinking and, we're enjoying the, we're enjoying the, uh, the ballet and it's about four o'clock and it's like, we still haven't gotten the call. We haven't gotten the call. Like we're waiting for the call to, to, to say, okay, boys, we're striking. We're striking. We're striking. No call. No call. Finally, Chelly calls, Chelly calls, um, the, uh, I, I think it was, I can't, can't forget who, who was, who it was at the time it was the was the head of the PA, but um, said, what's going on? It's four o'clock in the afternoon. We, you know, now it's four 35 o'clock. Are we striking or what? When are you going to announce the strike? And he goes, Oh, we're not striking today. We're striking tomorrow. Uh, what <laughs> are you? We're like, we're not, we're not striking today. And we're hammered all of us. I remember us running out of this, out of the club, getting into the cab, Flying through through the Windsor Tunnel back into Detroit, right to the arena. Well, we walk like eight of us walk into the into the arena, Joe Lewis Arena. We stunk to high heaven, and Keenan is sitting there, and he's looking at us, and he's just shaking his head because he sees that we're just like lit up. Smell our our suits are all over the place. You can smell beer all over us. And I remember sitting in the locker room going, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to die. There's no way. I'm going to get traded. This is going to be awful. And this is where I really learned that playing with guilt is sometimes the best way to play because I played <laughs> one of my best games I ever played. Because if we didn't win and, we didn't, and, and I didn't play well, that we were going to get it from Mike something fierce. But the thing is, is we tied 2-2 that game. And I scored a goal and had an assist. And I remember walking onto the bench, still reeking of, of sweat and, and alcohol. And Mike Keenan goes, good game, kid. Good game. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow. I said, I slipped by that one.
0: Well, by this that is, one. so what we're doing is we're actually reviewing some of the, the JR stories. And the, the other one, I think that uh, listeners are like, to hear about is maybe the time you met Arnold Palmer at his golf course. And yeah. you were, you were messing with some of his uh, critters.
2: Yeah, this is uh this is about, um, five, five or six years ago. Um, playing down in Bay Hill, playing in the, uh, a member guest, playing with one of my friends and, you know, member guests are a lot of fun, right? Yeah. You go there. Yeah. It's a three yeah. day fun time, <clears throat> have a couple pops with the boys, have some fun. Well, we're playing in the first round. And Bay Hill is Arnold Palmer's course yep. that he's legendary known for. And I've had a couple, a couple, uh, a couple fresh ones uh, on the, by the fifth hole and feeling pretty good. We're playing golf. My buddy and I were, we're, we're actually playing great. And I see an alligator sunbathing right next to the water on, on the, on the fairway. So I tell my buddy to get the camera and I creep up onto the, onto the, to the alligator and I try to jump on him and I jump at him and I grab his tail and he slips away, slips through and slips into the, and my buddy's like, you know, what's wrong with you? You're totally on your mind. You're, what's wrong with you? What if he would have turned on? And I, well, I didn't think about that, but, um, so we laughed about it the whole time uh, of the rest of the round. So we go into the locker room uh, after and obviously in the locker room, everybody gets together. We're having another couple of beers. We're talking about our round. And in walks Arnold Palmer into the locker room. And I was like, this is the first time I've ever seen Arnold Palmer. And he walks over to the boys and he puts his hands on two guys' shoulders that are sitting down. They're like, hey, Mr. Mr. Palmer, how are you? And he's like, he puts his hands on two guys' shoulders. And I'm on the other side, so I'm looking at him. And he goes, he looks at me and goes, hey, hockey boy, will you leave my alligators alone? They're scared shit out there. And I went, (laughs) Yes, yes, Mr. Arnold Palmer. I'm sorry, Mr. Mr. Arnold Palmer, sir. I, you know, I, and he started laughing. He started laughing. And uh, I was like, that was my introduction to Arnold Palmer is he called me hockey boy. Hey, That's hockey boy. Point. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty Well Hockey boy. <laughs> hey, now, Squid,
0: we would be remiss if we didn't bring this one up. Now, in your book, I know I read your book a couple of years ago, you talk about you fancy yourself quite the dancer. There is – on the YouTube out there, people should go and look this one up. But you dancing during an ice break during yep. the game with the Kings.
2: Well, I, I told, yeah, I told you I didn't really have a great year with the Kings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <and> so <laughs> <laughs> this kind of started it all off, right? So um, I go, we start the season with the Kings. And in preseason, we usually have a game in Vegas, um, an exhibition game in Vegas, um, and it was LA versus Colorado. And we, play, we were playing at the MGM. And I remember the glass broke. So, and you, you know, there's really not hockey. There's not hockey in, in, yeah. in Vegas at this time. This is 2005. Yeah. So the boards were, were not very good. The glass wasn't very good. And the rink wasn't very good. And I remember the glass broke during the game. And the guys couldn't fix the glass. They're playing with the glass. And I go over there. I'm like, come on, boys, what's going on? What's happening? You know, it's like 20 minutes and you can see the people getting restless in the stands. Like, come on, get the glass fixed. Let's play. And I'm, I remember being right at the glass when they're fixing it. And the Bee Gees, you should be dancing, came on the, on, and I'm a big Bee Gees fan and I'm a big seventies fan. I love disco. And I'm just standing there and listening to the music and, I start moving a little bit and I see that their people in the stands see me dancing and they start dancing with me. So I start dancing a little more and they're dancing with me and they're standing up. So now I get going and I start dancing and I'm like, screw it. Let's, let's give them a show. And I turn around and I start dancing. I skate right to center ice and I'm doing the, doing the John Travolta (laughs) and I'm dancing all over the place. And I see there's like 15,000 people in the stands dancing with me. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And even Joe Sakic said that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a hockey game. I'll never see somebody dance in the middle of a in the in the center ice during a hockey game like Jr. did in, in Vegas. And you probably will never see that ever, actually, ever again. Well,
1: when um, we see on uh, Dancing with the Stars. Then, if Carol Baskin can get on there, surely that's yeah. <laughs> J R can get on there.
2: Well, it was, It's funny you said that, Squid, because I tried to get on the show like for for three years, and um, they had already filled. They've already filled their cast. But then I signed with NBC in 2010, just to be on, on their broadcast. And right when I signed with NBC. Dancing with the Stars invited me to be on the show two months after I started my show. Oh, the show oh. with NBC, so I couldn't do it because of uh, because of you know uh, opposite opposite conflict of interest. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, now you're known as a bit of a prankster. Now is this true? I heard a story about you that you faked your own
2: death. Very you- true. Yep, it's very true. Um, one of the best pranks I think of all time. Um, <laughs> the um, <laughs> I, I always have to have the, I always have to up, up one, right? Get up one on everybody. So we're in uh, San Jose. It's it's I'm going into the last year of my career and um, San Jose was a great, great place to play great teammates. And I remember um, we used to go to Vegas after the season together. And we used to go to Vegas before the season started together as a team, a bunch of guys. So I thought it would be a good idea before the season started to have a little camaraderie. Let's go to Vegas. I can play a prank on some guys. We can start the season with some fun. So two, two of my favorite young kids on the team, Tori Mitchell and Devin Setaguchi, um, who they would come to my house all the time. My wife would make them dinner. They're two of the young guys. I love being that mentor as late in my career. Well, I was gonna play a joke on these guys in Vegas. So what I did, and this is going to get lengthy too. I'm sorry, but I'll tell you the whole thing. (laughs) So I called, I called this, I called this, uh, this TV show um, called uh, Scare Tactics. I don't know if you ever guys have seen the show Scare Tactics, go to YouTube and, and just watch Scare Tactics episodes. You, I love the show. So I thought it would be good to hire a professional Scare Tactics, um, you know, Uh, professional Hollywood show to, to get these guys. They thought the idea was great. So I had this idea. I don't know if you guys ever saw eyes wide shut with Tom Cruise, where they had these weird parties and you just, you know, you don't know what's going on and they, they scare the Dickens out of you like you're going to get killed or I thought it was a great idea. So I, I paid a guy in Vegas to sit down at a table at a blackjack table with me and Devin and, and tory so as we're sitting playing cards this guy that i paid who's at the other end on the other end of the table looks at us and goes hey you guys you guys look like um you guys look like uh you'd like to have fun and we're like yeah we'd like that fun of course we're we're in vegas we're having fun he goes goes, i'll tell you what there's a party tonight it's the best party in vegas these it's you know you see the parties on you know, on television, where the, the girls are jumping in the pool and every, everybody's running around with no no clothes on and they're doing all that stuff. This is one of those parties, and obviously the young kids, Devin and S- and Seto are like, "Oh my God, Jr. We we should go to this party." And the guy's like, "Okay, listen, okay, here's here's the address, but there's a password. The password is, is Dakota, but don't you can't tell him I gave I gave you that this. So this is coming from a guy inviting us to this." big you know big celebrity party so we get in the car we go out into this we go to a mansion okay now scare tactics has this place hooked you know hooked up and and wired to the gills we walk in we knock at the door there's two big big bouncers answer the door and we're sitting there like what's going on here right and they're like what's the password and we go dakota so we go he lets us in we walk into this big mansion and into the living room it's this 17 foot ceilings you know big 16 foot bay window it, you know but it was a real eerie feeling there are people kind of meandering around the music was kind of soft um it was not a rock a ruckus crowd and the people were a little older and um so we sit on the couch and tori mitchell goes I, I what we this is not the party that the guy was talking about. We might, we're at the wrong party. I'm like, no, we just said Dakota at the door. and Tori's like, we got to get out of here. I'm like, no, let's just see what happens here, right? And and Dev, and, and Mitchie's like, no, it's okay, it Might it might pick up a little bit. Well, this guy comes over to us and goes, I've never seen you at our parties before. How did you get here? And I'm like, well, somebody invite once somebody invited us, he goes, what's the password? And we're Dakota who invited you? I'm like, well, we, we don't know his name. And Tori Mitchell now is like, he's like, why, why we shouldn't be here. Are we not allowed here? We can't, can't come here. We'll, we'll leave. We'll leave. We'll leave. And everybody's kind of looking at us, right? There are people are looking around so they're walking by and they're looking at us. And Tori is freaking out. He's like, I got to get out of here. I said, I said, listen, I got to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom, but I really went to the back to the garage. And then the garage is where they had all the cameras up, and they had all the people you know, watching. You see all the TVs, and I could see Tori and them. And I put this blood patch under my jacket, right? So I put this, this, <laughs> this patch, and I went back out. So then I sit down. And all of a sudden, the, the kind of music goes down and goes out with this woman. And he comes to the middle of the room and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, this is our feature of the night. And he brings out this woman with no clothes on and parades her around to all the people. And all the people are looking at her and they're touching her and they're, they're, they're looking, you know, they're, and it was really weird. Brought us around to me, Tori and, and, and Mitchie. And we're, you know, we're just like, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Good. You know, not knowing what's going on. You know, they had a had a she had a chain uh, around her waist, and he, he's pulling her. We're like, what do they mean that the you know this this is the, the the surprise of the night? We didn't know what it meant. Now Mitchie's really freaking out. Guys, seriously, we gotta get out of here. I, go, I don't like this, man. I get, we gotta get out. I'm like Mitch, you just you can't leave now. So as he's yelling, the waitress comes about ten minutes later with a tray of shots of red red liquid shots because I wanted it to look like it was blood. So the tray came and they offered it to us. So I took, a, I took one, Mitchie took one. I mean, Tori, uh, um, um, Devin took one, but Tori Mitchell wouldn't take it. He's like, I'm not, drinking it. I'm not drinking it. I'm not drinking it. No way. And I look at it like, what is it? What, what is it? And, and then Devin sticks his finger in and tastes it. He goes, oh, my God, that's blood. It's blood. It's blood. And Mitchie's like, I'm out of here. Just get out of here. Right. And I'm like, no, Mitchie, Tori, sit down, sit down. Now we're real. Now, now I'm getting nervous. Right. And Tori's getting really scared now. All of a sudden the lights go down, the music comes up and all these people that are in the room put on these masks. He's like, these like Cirque du Soleil masks you know with the big noses and the feathers <laughs> and, and it's like what's going on what's going on and the doors open and this person pushes in a cart pushes in a table that's covered with a tarp and we're like what's going on everybody's standing up what's going on what's going on they pull the tarp off the table and there's the late the girl that they had brought in earlier with her stomach totally cut open and her, Jesus. It, it, her whole insides were showing. I mean, this is Hollywood professional stuff, right? This is like, this yeah. is the most unbelievable makeup I've ever seen, but her, her whole stomach and she was laying on the, on the table with her the organs showing. And the head guy reaches in and grabs her liver and eats it and goes, tastes like chicken. And everybody <laughs> starts, everybody starts grabbing her and eating her and i like i get up and i start to run out of the room right and tori mitchell and setter like what are we doing what are we doing and as i'm running out the out the room the big bouncer comes in and starts stabbing me with a knife and he stabs me and that's when my blood patch breaks open <laughs> blood goes all over my white shirt and i did one of the best i did one of the best death impressions i went down oh gosh and i went down and i and i died <laughs> And Tori's like, "They kill Jr. They kill Jr. <laughs> and, right?" And and Tori's now scared. Tori runs, jumps up onto the bar, and runs, and jumps. tries to jump through a 16 foot bay window, <laughs> and he hits it. And he comes back, and he runs at it again. And everybody's like, "Now we're freaking out." So everybody's like trying to tell Tori to settle down. Tori's like, "Stay away from me." You vampires, you stay away from me, <laughs> stay away from me. And he's like, he's yelling at them, stay away, right? Next thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm laying on the ground, going like, like watching with my eye open, right? Peeking my eye open, watching this whole thing happen. So, and and Sato's standing there like this. And I think he was saying, all I have to do is eat her. All I have to do is eat her. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. All I got to do is eat her, right? And... <laughs> Tori jumps off the bar, runs through the through the through the door where the 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 table came, because there was blind. He saw blinds like wicker blinds. So where he saw blinds meant window, exit. Ran through the room and took a headfirst jump right through a double pane window. Went right through the right through the blinds out the window, like. you, you guys remember the Wizard of Oz, right? When the when the when the lion runs down and jumps through the pane glass, that that was Tori Mitchell jumped right through a pane glass window, right through the double double uh, double pane window, and jumped over the jumped over two fences, and literally jumped into Wayne Newton's backyard and was running through <laughs> Wayne Newton's backyard. I, I'm, I this sounds crazy, but I'm telling I'm telling you the truth. And it took us about an hour and a half to find Tori because we, you know, on the on the loudspeakers, on the you hear, we have a runner, we have a runner, and we had to stop production because we had to find Tori because yeah. he was somewhere he was somewhere running through, and yeah, I have, I, yeah, I have the tape, but I, that tape will never come out. I don't think Tori would want that tape to come out. No, I
0: don't <laughs> think you would. That's pretty. That's pretty good.
2: Yeah, well, least... that was good.
0: We are. Uh, we're running out of time here. Anything else uh, for we, we? We really appreciate you taking this time with us, Jr. Sure. Uh, that time.
1: I like. I like this quote. The only difference between the coyotes
0: and yes. the days
1: of our lives is that nobody has been shot on our team yet. <laughs> 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 like, what was that all? About?
2: <laughs> uh you know me. I was just you know. We liked having fun. We. We played the game hard, and we lived. We lived life hard, and um, we we had a bunch of uh, really cool characters. A lot of characters that uh, that um, that were old school and played the game, and and at times um, partied at the wrong time. And you know, we, we just love we, we loved playing the game. We played the game right, and um, it, it was it was kind of like the Wild West. You didn't, didn't know what you were going to get from one day to another with us because we, we just love being with each other. We love spending time together. We love getting in trouble together. We love playing hard for each other. And it was, that's just how it was. And, you know,
1: so, I, don't like I, have, my, I don't think I have – Sounds like my days.
2: I don't think I had too many, um, too many bad days uh, in the National Hockey League. No. That's, that's for sure, you know. Mm-hmm. so It doesn't yeah, sound I, like we're having it. too
0: many bad days now I, I, either. <laughs>
2: No, uh, you know, I love the game. Guys, I love the game. Um, I've always loved the game. I still love the game. Uh, I know its roots. Um, I respect it. I, 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 I still love watching it today. There was a time in my career where, where, where it was about me, and I was brash, and I, was, I had a big ego, and uh, I think that hurt me a lot in, in terms of uh, my reputation, which, which is fine. I, you know, I'm 50 years old now. I can look back and say, um, you know, my ego helped me be successful, but it also hurt my success. Right. So it's, um, but I wouldn't change many things. Um, I like my life. I think I do a lot of good things for people. I tried to, and I tried to play hard for the fans. Uh, I gave the fans my time, never said no to an autograph. I would make sure that through pucks, the fans, um, I love the game. I know, I remember who's taught it to me. I remember the people that, uh, that got me there and, and, uh, I'll, I'll always, I'll always be a fan. And, uh, Hopefully, hopefully, very soon you'll see me on No Filter Broadcast uh, talking hockey again and, and showing my passion and, and my, my knowledge for the game. Uh, I, won't work, I don't think I'll work for a, a network again. I think those days are behind me. But um, um, I'm still a huge fan and, and, and love, love talking. And you will see me speaking my mind and telling, telling people what I think and giving people what they really want. And that's, that's fun, uh, honest, and true entertainment uh, in, in order to, uh, to follow the game.
0: Oh, that's very, very, well said, and I, I think that uh, you know not only the fact that the fans appreciate it, but the way you and the way you gave them something back off the ice, so did the media. They made a you, Bob.
2: Yeah, we're
0: looking forward to hearing that that uh, broadcast you have coming up and in the time thank soon. You. So keep us in mind when it does come out. Uh, we'd love to hear that from you. And uh, JR, yep. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah.
2: Just... Listen. Anything, anything for a squid. You know, I've always respected you, Rick. You're, you're you've always, always been a friend. You treated me great, and uh, you know, anytime I can do something uh, that's going to put me uh, up um, amongst amongst my my Canadian my Canadian hockey fans. I miss that. <laughs> I miss that aspect. I miss. I really do. I miss that aspect. Um, that's you know. I, I hey. really appreciate you having me on. I really no appreciate it.
1: having you. As Canadians, eh? Hey, that's right. <laughs> He's got He's it. Canadians. Canadian, Jay. He's yep. got it. I love Thanks, it. Thanks, JR. JR, thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, JR. Great
0: okay. talking to you, right, man. guys. Well, Squid, JR <laughs> never fails to disappoint. What a carry. We've got to talk to him for hours. I mean, I know we said that last week, but I mean, again, now after you're listening to him now for, I think it's almost two hours of stories from this guy, I, I, I mean, where do you come up with the idea of faking your own death to get some, like, to, to prank a couple of rookies now, in all your years playing hockey, I mean, you must there must have been some beauties, uh, guys. I mean, anything in particular stand out outside of some of the usual stuff? Like, what would be some of the common stuff done, and maybe something well, anybody ever get you with a good one?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, nailing the shoes to the floor and tying. I know I had my my jeans tied in real tight knots, so you wouldn't. Really, it would take you an hour to get <laughs> the knot undone. But I think the best one that was pulled on me at the World Championships and uh, I believe it was in Helsinki. Uh, Bernie Nichols was there and, and uh, so you have your pregame meal and you go up to your room and usually you're gonna go into the bathroom, sit on the throne and do your thing and then have your nap. So anyway, that's fine, and uh, but you know, Bernie would get someone else's key. So here I am, I go back to my room, I'm sitting on the porcelain throne and just relaxing and little be knows to me he's hiding in the shower and flies open the curtains and screams and yells i I swear i almost had a heart attack i I was sitting there i was like oh my god (laughs) because you don't expect something like that and uh oh boy i could have grabbed him and punched him but it, it was a pretty good prank so i had to give him his due and just let it go and uh uh, and I thought about doing it myself, but I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> I don't oh, want to see someone die in front of me.
0: But then it just keeps it going. Then they're going to get you back and then it's gonna, It's just never going to stop. There's the endless cycle. I mean, is there anybody that, uh, anybody that stands out that was, was the actual prank she had to watch from all the time because he was going to do something? Like even uh, stupid.
1: Well, D- Daryl actually, Sittler, when I was there, uh, but, but he would never admit it. It would always be no. It was someone else, wasn't me. And but I know it was him, and, and so did everybody else. But he would never own up. To it and and yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? You gotta you gotta say no, Daryl. It was you. Like I know it was. And oh, you can't do that. I mean, it's Daryl Sitler. You just got there. You're a kid. And uh, but he he did a lot of the pranks, but never ever owned up to it.
0: Well, that's well that's the good prank. So you can get away with that well I remember Jimmy Thompson tell me a story when he was in LA one time and they were getting him a few times so he thought he'd get the guys with the old baby powder in the hair dryer and this is when oh, they used yeah, hair dryers yeah. in those days uh, probably today the kids have hairstylists in the dressing room doing it for them but he so he does it but unbeknownst to him the king Gretz he goes over to the shower to dry the hair and he usually is one of the first or the last but he was one of the first at this time grabs the wrong one and sprays himself with all the powder now you just don't do that to the king of hockey at that time and here's this fledging kind of player at the time he said he both had a heart attack and thank god Wayne took it in good humor because you just one of those ones you just don't do
1: well the one more that I remember uh that Billy Verlago was a pretty good prankster too and In the shower or on the way into the shower, there's all the towels piled up and you'd take one and he would take one and open it up and and put shaving cream in there. And of course, it's it's white, so you can't see it. And the guy would come out, grab the towel, start drying himself off. And of course, then the shaving cream would go everywhere. Well, the one time Harold went in and had a shower and he grabbed that one of those (laughs) towels. But he thought it was pretty funny, actually. So he laughed about it and uh, said, "Well, that's a pretty good joke. I, I like that."
0: <laughs> well, you know that that could be a show for somebody to do to do the greatest pranks in hockey history, and I mean, it almost could be a it almost could be a book. So all you authors out there, there's a story for you. Go and you know start going and uh, canvassing all the players who played in the league and get the best prank of all time. We could have a countdown: TSN top thirty uh, best prank. Oh, that-
1: You'd have, you'd have 30 unbelievable pranks. There's no question about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just all part of it in the old days with the lit- newspaper and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But anyway, so that's uh, that's our show for today. I hope everybody enjoys it as far as, um, uh, you know, with JR. I, I, again, we just can't say enough, but I can't thank him enough for coming on and sharing those stories with us once again. Uh, any party thoughts before we go, Squid? No, I
1: enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, JR is a good kid. He, he well, he's not a kid uh, anymore, but uh, he's a kid to me, I guess. A kid to me, too. Yeah, and, uh, but I enjoyed my time playing with him, the short period that it was, and the fact that he grabbed my number, and he wore it very, very well in Chicago. So uh, he's a great kid. He's living in the, probably the best place he could live in, San Diego, yeah. where they get very little rain, and 65 to 85 is the range of the temperature, so you can golf all year round. But I would love to
0: be there. Yes, 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 you would. Well, speaking of which, you got something coming up in the next month, the release of your book. Yeah. Not that yet. So there were, we catch 22. I've got my book out right now, The Ultimate Road Trip. Uh, guys, uh, you know, if anybody you've read it out there, please send us a note when you read Squids, read mine, let us know what you think about it. Any questions we can answer for you guys for concerning those, uh, you can reach us on Fan on Twitter, uh, Ultimate Leaf Fan on all our other social media networks. You can find me, Ricky Vive, on Instagram and on Twitter. Look for him. Look for us, guys. And we're looking forward to seeing you guys all next week. And We'll have another special guest for you guys. Look to tuning in with us. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you guys later.